is Liz Gleason, and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from ordinary people on their experience of loss, how their grief impacted them, and what helped them to find their feet again. Loss can really have such a profound effect on our lives, and it is my hope that Shapes of Grief will provide comfort, hope, and inspiration to our listeners, so that together we can get more comfortable talking about grief. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener-supported podcast, so please do donate, like, share, and review. It really does keep us going. For more grief resources and grief support, find and follow us on all the usual social media channels and on shapesofgrief.com. Welcome to Shapes of Grief and I'm Liz Gleason. and thank you for joining us today Madeline. Really appreciate you making the journey to come up and for giving us your time to share your grief story. And would you start Madeline by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well I trained, uh, I grew up in Dublin, I'm one of five children. I trained as a nurse and I'm also a creative arts therapist, play creative arts therapist and I have studied um, completed a master's in bereavement studies a few years ago and I am working currently as an as a nurse stoma care nurse so I know that you have a story that you want to tell us about your experience of grief and I know that you've had multiple losses in your life Madeline where does this story begin it begins um, where I'll start it it would be on my 19th birthday it was a bank holiday Monday June the 4th and my brother, who was windsurfing in British Bay, he was a very, he was a very strong swimmer. He, he swam for Leinster when he was younger. He drowned off the coast of British Bay. He went out windsurfing on his own. And I can safely say that that changed the whole trajectory of my life. That was the first thing. Mm. Um, what do you remember about that day and very that time? Clearly. I, I could I remember it yeah. so so clearly I remember I was ironing I was ironing something when all the family were it was a Sunday or sorry it was a Monday bank holiday Monday and I was going in I was a student nurse at the time and was he older or younger than you he was older than me um, I'm the youngest in the family and he was two up from me so and what 24 25 he was 28 20 28 yeah and I was I was ironing my veil my nurse's veil we used to have to wear a veil as a student nurse in those days, starching it. And when I heard the news um, that he was missing, and then about two hours later, we, um, or less, it wasn't even two hours later, we heard that his body had been found. It was washed up on the beach. And I just remember my mother, my mother who, she had lost two children already. Her first baby at two weeks old, and the baby just before me at full term. And she, I think just this, third child, this loss of this third child, grown man, but third child to her nonetheless, was just too much. She she just, she was a very strong woman, but boy, did she just break down that day and within seven months she had died. Wow. Mm, of a broken heart, but she died of cancer. She developed cancer, mm. was diagnosed in the October. And so she was dead 
by the following January, January 5th. And do you believe that's a result of her bereavement? I do. I believe she may have got cancer at some stage, but I do believe the whole, the absolute shock of that death um, exacerbated whatever was going on inside her. But yes, I do, and I'm, I'm, I do believe that the, uh, we are so affected by the events in our lives internally and that if we, if we don't express it in a way that maybe is necessary, it'll come out somewhere mm. within our body. And for her, without a doubt, I mean, she got, it was so quick. And for you, you had a double bereavement in a year and you were age 19. Yeah, and I, uh, yes. Yeah. And, and my dad was broken hearted because he adored his mother and he just started to drink. Or his wife. His wife, his yeah. mother, his yeah. wife, you're right, his yeah. wife, my mother. And he started to, to drink during her illness and then subsequently. Mm-hmm. So I, that, I found that very difficult to deal with and I know I was the only one at home and I know I drove the others mad because they were all dealing with their individual grief and then I was so concerned about dad. But so I you lost, lost your dad to uh, a degree or yes. the dad you knew was, was never to come back at no. that point? No, yeah. um, he was a fabulous man, mm. gentleman. To me, I felt I lost him at that. That was my feeling at the time, mm. that I'd lost him as well. What was your brother's name? Peter. Peter. Yeah. So you said that when Peter died, it was to change the whole trajectory of your life. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about that? What do you mean? I mean, I suppose the grief I felt um, at the time and then subsequently with my mother getting becoming ill and then dying and living at home with my father, I, I never really, I suppose I never dealt with the grief. I never let myself grieve properly. I did grieve, but I felt I gave myself an awful hard time mm. um, when I was grieving. I felt I should be getting on with things and that I wouldn't talk about it with people because I felt that, you know, they're tired of hearing me talk about my story, my sob story. When I look back on it now, I can see I was 19 and I was really, really suffering, but I was very hard on myself and yeah. I didn't, I didn't get what I needed because I didn't let people yeah. do it for me. I, and I, this is 30 years ago. It is, n- it is, um, yes, 30 years ago. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, it is. And I'm, I'm just like, 34 years ago, actually. you know, as yeah. a bereavement therapist, I'm wondering what has changed, you know, because it's still so taboo to grieve. People still don't want to openly grieve. People are still worried about the judgments people will make. People are still worried about upsetting someone else or making someone else uncomfortable. And essentially, this is why we're doing this. This is why Shapes of Grief has been born. It's to try and take grief out of the taboo area that it's been placed in and just talk about it as a normal human experience. Absolutely. So that young 19-year-olds don't have to stuff it back into their bodies. Which is exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. Just on that point, the only thing that I think that might be slightly different now to what was then was the availability of therapy. Yes, it, that is available. Like if I, even if I had admitted to myself that I needed therapy, which at the back of my mind I knew I needed help, I would have, it, there was a t- real taboo, whereas it's not as taboo now to be going to a therapist or, thankfully, you know. That's true. Yeah. Um, but I could definitely have done with professional help without a doubt. And I was a student nurse at the time and they, I did have a, a slight meltdown one day on the ward um, because I was straight back to work and I was working in a neurological ward and 
I was witnessing a mother, young mother dying in the same age as my mother in her 50s and her family around her and I just I was lost in their grief because obviously it was only about eight weeks or less since I had been I'd lost my mother and, and then I had a slight meltdown on the on the ward when the <laughs> the assistant matron came around to do rounds and took me on the ward and then started yelling at me because I had I didn't know something about a patient and I literally just turned to jelly and practically dissolved in front of her and I walked away that day and I left nursing well, for good but it didn't turn out it was the matron said to come back you know come back in six months but I actually walked off the ward that day and, and left yeah could you describe a little bit more what happened that day and that meltdown that led to you walking out I was uh, as I say this other patient or this patient sorry I wasn't a patient but this patient I was looking after I was in a six-bedded ward with the high dependent patients I shouldn't have been there I had just lost two family members. I shouldn't have been in that room, but I was. I, that was my, my. That's that was where I was supposed to spend my my sh my few hours, working. And as there was this woman who was dying, and I couldn't detach naturally. It's perfectly logical now. It wasn't to me then. I would have been berating myself, but I couldn't detach from what was happening. So I was. I felt every bit of torment that that family was going through. Then when the matron, the assistant matron came to take me on rounds, again why they wouldn't leave me alone, you know, because doing rounds is a very stressful thing when you're a student nurse. And then she just laid into me for not knowing something about one of the patients. When I say I dissolved, I, sh I was shaking. It's never happened to me since and I hope it never happens to anyone, but I just literally was shaking like a leaf from top to bottom and it felt like I was just dissolving, just gone and I yeah. left not to come back. Yeah. So I, I wasn't capable of working yeah. in that environment. Yeah. And what but happened in the aftermath of that decision? The matron asked me to come and speak with her, and she was a nun, very nice nun at the time, and she said uh, she understood what had happened, that not to leave for good, to give myself six months and consider coming back. Mm which I did and I went back because my sister pushed me back in okay. <laughs> she made me go back and she was right but I had that six months but I still in that six months didn't get the help I needed and um, I was floating around a little bit so profound loss can rock our inner world it's confusing life-altering and often scary you've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief but are there other models theories tools or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process. To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now, let's get you back to the podcast. Can you describe that a bit more to us there, Madeline? You needed help, you were floating around, yes. you've had two bereavements. What do you remember about your state of being at that time? Well, I suppose constantly giving out to myself because get on with it. Like I, I, got, an, I got a job working in a coffee shop and like I was working and I bought a car, I sold a car, I bought a moped, sold, I didn't have very much money, but I did all these things, you know. The way I coped then and, and how I've coped for years was get involved in something do something that'll take your mind off it. I wasn't thinking logically that that's why I was doing it, but I know that that's what I did. I jump into new things. Find a project. Find a project. Yeah. Get married, have babies. It, it was like do something and not stop and think about 
how you actually are or how I was, how okay. I was feeling. So you literally did get married? I, and I was really, really lucky to the person I, I married. I was very lucky, really, really lucky. Mm. But I did. Others may not be so lucky. No, no. Making a rash was, decision and grief yes. to get away from your grief. Yeah. And it didn't feel mm. like a rash decision then. Mm. But I kept a diary at the time, and it's quite interesting to look back and read about it. I, um, I didn't write it every day, but and I was totally. It's like you're jumping on another bandwagon. You're you're just trying to. You're running away, and you're not doing. I wasn't doing it consciously. No. It was a survival method, me mechanism, yeah. but it was doing me no good. It was really doing so me no good. So just not standing still long enough to feel. Exactly. Just keep busy. Exactly, and I mean, if you're, you know, yeah. you're paying bills, you're, you know, you're if you're having babies and you're, you know, you're working, al always doing another course. Yeah. Um, you're never really standing still to actually take stock of well, you know, what it, what is it that you're yeah, actually and doing? integrate everything. And but I literally kept everything inside. So at what point did it start to knock at the door at saying... At age 19, after my brother died, yeah. I became, I, I had the first signs and symptoms of uh, ulcerative colitis. Okay. Now ulcerative colitis, my mother had ulcerative colitis, it, is a, it, it can be hereditary, but it, you wouldn't necessarily get it. But it, it, having worked with many people who've suffered from it for over years, and asking them their story, there's often, more frequently than not, a trigger of an event that yeah. happens. A trauma or a bereavement yes. or, yeah. 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 And, and, and I, I think guess that's not something that's talked about. Peter's death was both a bereavement and a trauma. Yes. You know, so shocking so and so sudden. Yeah. And he, yes, it was, but it was after, it was that, and then plus my mother's illness and death. Yeah. Then the sy st symptoms started. They were, they were mild enough and I was unfortunate enough to go to a consultant who was a little bit creepy um, who put me off going back and getting further tests for a while. I really, for years and years and years, I really never expressed the pain and the hurt that I felt because I wouldn't even let myself feel it. Yeah. Um, but it was there. It was very So much you kept there. it an arm's length away from you in your yes. busyness? But it was not going to go away. It yeah. was very much inside and it came out in that disease. I became progressively more ill with it and um, to the point where I made the decision because my quality of life was so poor to have surgery. So what does that surgery involve for well, ulcerative colitis? I ended up having to have my large bowel removed and I have a permanent stoma bag as a result and um, which when I I just went about and had it I didn't even let, and I said everything's fine it's grand I haven't got my disease and I'm happy go look at you I'm great and mm. look everyone would say to you aren't you great how you're dealing with it you're amazing but again I didn't let myself dwell on the fact mm. of what was happening so here you are major surgery you lost your entire colon mm -hmm. with a stoma when did the grief resurface was there another illness or did you begin to grieve what happened no, again, I carried on as I've always carried on. Mm. Then a very close friend of mine um, developed cancer. Well, it was before I'd had the surgery, she developed the cancer um, just after having her baby. And it was, uh, she was terminal about a year after I'd had surgery or less than a year, but 10 months after, 11 months after I'd had the first surgery, she was terminal and I helped care for her. She died. Again, been me, I, 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 I don't know, I think it was at that point that 
things started to explode inside me, maybe. I, th I was coming back from her funeral, which was in Sligo in the car, and I could feel, you know, I was getting some pains, but I didn't think anything of it. Everything's going to be fine. It's grand. Um, but I ended up in hospital that night in the early hours of the morning. The, um, and uh, about 36 hours later, I was rushed down to the theatre and I died on the table. It, my bowel was gangrenous and I, I did have a near-death experience. Some people may say, some people describe you yeah, as just the drugs, or, but it's a very clear experience that I had. Mm. And I was on a ventilator for 24 hours and when I did come through, when I came it, it was touch and go. They, they were told, mm. Masmo was told it was touch and go the next 24 we'll hours. Just rewind to the near-death <laughs> experience. I don't yeah. want to pass that over. Would you be willing to give us some more detail about that? Um, yeah, I was, um, I had, a vi I had my, my father, my father came to me and in many ways, because he had, he had actually died. I haven't even mentioned about his death. He had died subsequently as well. And he came to me in this experience and I always feel that it would have been if, 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 if it was something that I was I really wanted to happen and I was nearly making up it would have been my mother who would have come to me but my dad came to me um, and he um, and I really 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 wanted to die I wanted to go and subsequently that caused me an awful lot of guilt I had three small children I had a husband um, but I know very clearly that I actually really, really wanted to go. But I was told, or I would not told as in words, but I didn't, I couldn't, I wasn't let, but I wanted to go. I really did. So you had so a strong. sensation of someone or some force was saying it's not your time. Yes. That but it's not in words. Yeah, not in words. But yeah. But I, I know that the, the, the strength of feeling to actually go. Yeah. To go the wherever, to there. die, to go, yeah. to leave this present world here. And, and up to that point, Madeline, you know, your brother, your mother, and now your father, and a friend, were you, were you aware that you were grieving? Or did you think there's just something wrong with me? Or had you a clue how much you were suffering? I think, I mean, I, I, was, I, I was aware, but I kept myself so busy. I, I avoided it. I and yeah. I thought there was something wrong with that because nobody talked about it nobody and I thought it was and like if you you feel like you're a broken down record if you're going to keep saying it. and then I wasn't I didn't keep saying mm -hmm. it to people but I was conscious that oh go on and I actually anytime I did you know if you'd had a few drinks on you you might sort of get a bit maudlin mm -hmm. with I had really good friends and the, my good friends have really stood by me and have been my rock but it wasn't them, it was me. But if I had maudlin on a night out and I'd had a few drinks and I started to talk about it, and obviously it was very much there, I would berate myself and feel so guilty the next day. Because wow. I, I, I gave myself an incredibly mm. hard so time. So you really judged it as a weakness and yes. something to be ashamed of? Yeah, and this, as if people This emotional pain? Yeah, I did, without a doubt. And yeah. they didn't make me feel that. That was all coming from me. So how old were you when you had this near-death experience? 38. So it's almost 20 years later? Now? Uh, after oh, after Peter oh, it had, is, yes, 19, 19 years later. Yeah. yeah. Or I actually know it was 20 because I was actually 39. I was 38 okay. for the first surgery yeah. and 39 for the yeah. second, yes. So, so what happened after that? When I woke up, I, th I remember my sister was there and I remember saying to her, I really hope I don't hurt John. 
nothing's going to be the same. Well, at least I may not have said nothing's going to be the same verbalized, but that's what I, but I did say to her, I hope I don't hurt John. I can't remember exactly what else I said to her. But and John's your husband. John's just, my husband. Yeah. And because I knew that nothing was going to be the same. I wasn't the same. And I, I, I knew then that I had to do something to, to be, to, I suppose, to really be the person that I am with that grief, to deal with everything that had happened to me or to incorporate it and to not even to deal with it, but to have it. A, it is part of me. It's made me what I am. I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing today if maybe if it hadn't happened. But it was, I suppose this was to acknowledge what had happened and to, to actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. So what to changed? Heal myself, what to heal changed? myself. You began healing that day. I started, you? I began healing that it was a it's been a very very long process and a quite mm. a painful process at times mm. for not just for me but for John my husband would you think um, with your bereavement hat on you that you had prolonged grief yes yeah without a doubt without and just for doubt. listeners who might be listening most grief does resolve itself in time without the support of a professional mm -hmm. and some griefs about 10% they say don't resolve themselves and this is what we call prolonged grief mm -hmm. when it goes on and there is help for that available and a, an important point as well Liz as well I would feel is that that grief was always there within my body and it came out in all the medical conditions I had yeah it's got to the point it, it even gets to the point now where if something happens within my life my friends are wary that you know mind your health because right. even subsequently, when my husband John's sister died very tragically and suddenly, within a year, less than a year later, I was in hospital having more surgery. Mm -hmm. So even though that was only five years ago and it was many years, ten years after I started on this path, I still hadn't learned. I still hadn't learned to be able to just grieve. Yeah. To actually mm. to feel pain and it's okay to feel pain. It's okay to cry. It's okay to talk with people. I was much better at it. but. I still, I could feel it still within my body. Yeah, it's a constant learning and yes, working on it and, you know, investigating your own experience and attending to it when need be. Yes. So you talked about a healing journey began. Yes. The day after that near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that healing journey, if you're willing. What helped you? It was choices, choices I made. I, I started on a play creative arts therapy course and I did that I think possibly I was working with children at the time but I did that as a way to be able to go and get personal therapy it right. was kind of a back door into getting personal therapy I had to get it so that led me on the I had I had a year of so that's quite extreme signing up for a two-year postgraduate course yes was it that and you weren't able to admit to yourself I need therapy I think it was more I was un, unable to sort of, sort of say to others that yeah. I needed therapy. Um, it sounds totally ridiculous now. I'm so glad I did do the course and as well, like it was a very positive, that was a very, very positive thing. And, uh, you know, has, has again changed the tra trajectory of my, of what I've been doing over the last 10 years. But it certainly the personal therapy was very, very important for me. 
very important, obviously very important. And then I started, I also started to be, I suppose, be more spiritual, not in a religious sense, but to care for my, to care for me, I would go on retreats, meditation for retreats, your spirit. To care for my spirit, yeah. get out. And I've always found nature to be very healing, and that has been my saving grace all through my life. But I made sure, I was really conscious of, of minding myself and of, I suppose, trying to, um, in every respect, not just my body, but my spiritual spirituality. Another, actually, one thing I didn't mention, and one thing that has really helped me in all the years, is writing. Mm. I've always, I've not always written, but I would o often have a notebook that I'd write in. I'd write, I wouldn't call them poems, but versus when I'd feel very emotional, it was the one thing that I did do for myself and really, really helped. So writing for me and. and was a real tool that helped. And I'm curious, Madeline, when you got yourself into a therapist's office mm. 20 years after Peter had died, was it your grief that presented? No, not in, uh, in the sense of nothing presented, Liz, because if okay. you can imagine the barriers that were up, that yeah. I had up for years and years and mm. years, that year in therapy chipped away at those and was was really... It, even after the year, there was kind of <laughs> there. I I dealt with I dealt with a lot within that, and it was grief. But I had so much more I needed to deal with. And yeah. the therapist I was seeing went went away, um, went to Australia, and I didn't go back for further therapy. But I did get involved in through my creative arts therapy. I I was in contact with an amazing group of women. One of, the, one of the tutors on the course used to run these courses uh, in Spain or in, so twice, almost for the last 10 years, twice a year I have gone on, on this, it's like, it's a course, it's, but it's, it's personal therapy as well. But you're within the same therapeutic group. And we have mm. done some amazing, powerful work, but it took me years before I dissolved on the floor at one session in tears. And I cried for, probably about three hours yeah and that I can safely say is only about three years ago wow two and a half to wow. three years ago so it's taken but me that doesn't long. doesn't it show how hard. hard it is to find that safe space mm -hmm. where your system your body your heart and soul feels safe enough to dissolve mm -hmm. it doesn't happen very often and we need to be creating more of these safe spaces for people yeah. so they're not waiting 23, 25, 28 years yeah. to express their grief. I couldn't agree more because that's such a, that's a hell of a long time. And mm. the difference I feel since that day, mm. obviously it took, it took time to sort of process it and to integrate it and mm. to, but the, the difference I feel is incredible. Um, and I'm not saying it's mind-blowingly, shatteringly obvious to people or anything like that. Yeah. But for me, for me personally, I feel um, I feel quite quite different. Hard to explain, actually, to be honest. Even when I say different, uh, you know, I suppose if I feel sad, I feel sad. I, I allow myself now to feel emotion that I wouldn't have let myself feel. Yeah. Or if I did, I would feel them, but it would be like I'd be swallowing them. Yeah. Uh, literally and I think I think when you have that degree of loss some people feel if I let if I express this it's never going to stop yeah I don't know where the bottom of this is I don't know will this ever end 
Mm -hmm. I'm scared what's going to happen to me if I take the lid off this. It's really common. Mm. Yet there is always an end. It comes through you and then it's gone for that moment. But so many people are so uncomfortable with feeling an emotion. So in this day, you were kind of forced into it. I was. But the, the relief that, okay, I cried for three hours, but then I got up and I feel better. And I created something because it was within a creative arts setting. Yeah. For me, verbally, and that's why it's even surprising me sitting here talking, because I couldn't verbalize anything that I felt ever. I, I really couldn't find the words genuinely. And that's why, for me, the creative arts. Yeah. Give me a piece of clay and I, I get, or a sand tray, I get totally lost in it. Because yeah. I, my mind doesn't, my mind goes away. It, it's, it doesn't get in the way. So it just comes from, and. So it's pure expression it's of pure yourself. Expression. Yeah. Um, and I could never find the words. You couldn't find the words, so your body found a way to deal with it. Yes. It turning on itself it to turned, a degree. Literally turning yeah. on itself. It ate away at me. And that expression, you know, when some, something's eating away at you. Yes. You mentioned your me. bowel was gangrenous. Yeah. Like mm. I've had um, so many surgeries at all, you know, in my 30s or in my uh, late 30s and early 40s. And it was all. It is without a doubt. I'm sure I might have had some surgery, maybe, but I really, really feel that it was the grief eating away at me and me just not being able to, been able to find the words or even to know, you know, or to let myself, give myself permission to mind that young girl of 19 who, it was tragic for her. Like it was really tragic for her. And yet I never acknowledged it that it was, you know. Um, And I think, Mm. I think if we were, if it was something, if in our society, I mean, people say the Irish are great with grief and we're great at funerals. Don't know that we're, and we're, we are great at bringing the dinners and bringing the, you know, but I don't know whether, you know, I think we need to talk more about grief and loss and it's not just around bereavement. Yeah, people and it's not just at the, at the death. I think people will show up when somebody's dying. That's right. They'll show up when someone is dead. They'll show up for a couple of weeks after. And then inevitably, most people will get on with their own lives. And, you know, over time, everyone will begin to withdraw. Mm-hmm. And the really sad thing about that is, is, you know, we're in trauma at the time of a death often we're in shock, we're numb. Mm. And it's, you know, four, six, eight months down the line when that numbness begins to wear off and the true um, extent of our loss hits us that we find ourselves alone. That's right. You know, and we have to do better. We have to do better for each other, not just in times of death and bereavement, but you know, when people are going through separation, we have to do better. When people are going through surgery or ill health, we have to become kinder to to each other. But I think you've you've brought up a really important point. You weren't able you weren't even able to be kind to yourself because you didn't know how I didn't know how. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think what you're saying, giving people permission to to mourn. We're we're great for coming in and saying, I'll take, for example, because I it's something I'm familiar with. You come into a room to a patient and you're looking great. You're doing great. Yes. Wow. Super. 
stop people stop saying that because that person in the bed may look great may be recovering well yeah. but actually inside is in is in turmoil but nobody's given them permission yeah to actually well how's today going and for it's you? so invalidating yeah absolutely it's like taking away the anguish of your experience um it's so incongruent with what they feel yeah. you just say to them no you look amazing today or you're looking super and inside they're dying yes you know with pain or with grief it's it, you're making somebody retreat further and feel more vulnerable yeah absolutely we have to relearn how to be around grief yes and often it's you know susan delaney in the irish hospice foundation says says it beautifully she says show up and shut up yeah it's uh, you know it, that is perfect that is yeah because and people don't want the platitudes we all know nobody wants those platitudes yeah. uh, sure you know time will heal you'll get over it yeah you'll find someone else <laughs> He's an angel now, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, an All these euphemisms, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, None we need a, a, we need a lot of grief education. Yes, yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, people obviously mean no harm, but do a lot of harm because um, intent can be different to outcome. Yes, you know, and it's ultimately it's people's own discomfort with their own grief that makes them makes it hard for them to show up to someone else's grief. Absolutely. We're in a society where death is nearly a bad thing. You know, it's looked at, look at it as a failure, yeah, particularly within hospital settings nowadays. It's nearly looked like, you know, it's a failure. So whereas if we could just go back to death is normal. Death is tragic and sad when it's for, with young people, but not everyone's going to to live till a ripe old age. Tragic, it can be tragic and it can be sad. But if it's a, if it's not something that's like it's, it's when people say it shouldn't have happened, you know, though, death happens and I think if it's more if it's more of a norm within our society that we can talk about it that we can we're not afraid to talk about it and speak about it and speak about law you know death dying and then living with with loss and how difficult it is I just think it would be easier for people in general to yeah. discuss it and to be more open about it and, to, and it would help to prepare people as well because you know I know when people come in the door here for their first bereavement session, they're like, there's something wrong with me. Mm. There's something wrong with me. Because unless you've, you know, been on the receiving end of a loss, yeah. you don't know the how the extent of it, yeah. how it affects you so deeply. And I think, you know, one of the things you mentioned early on was your whole, the whole trajectory of your life changed after Peter died. Yeah. Like a, a, a significant loss changes our life. We don't go through a loss and then come out the other side and we're back to the way we were. It's right. like a filter. It's like before the loss and after the yes. loss, before the divorce, after the divorce, before he died, after she died. Like life is different in every way. Um, and we're looking at it from a different lens and we're changed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people will say for the better down the yes. way, but um, and others would say, well, I'd rather have my person back than yes. have this positive change. But I think people don't realize that it's your life becomes different forever. Yes. And it's not to say you grieve forever. You don't. Um, well, hopefully you don't. You can miss them forever and think of them and feel nostalgia. But we do learn to live with loss. You can be floored by loss even 20 or 30 years later. Yeah. And then it goes. But yeah. you can have moments where you're suddenly floored. Hijacked by it. Yeah. 
I just feel that awful sadness but that's okay you see that's okay that's normal don't berate yourself for it don't like I would have given myself such a hard time I said what this is ridiculous yes 20 years dead yeah you know so it's about but giving yourself that permission you're you're sad yeah sit with that sadness you know so long as it goes away and and doesn't stop you going on and living your life as as you as you as you normally do it's not a problem it's it's quite normal it's you know we need to weave it back into the fabric of our lives the other day my mother was it was my mother's anniversary she was 34 years dead and i felt that loss the, on on the 5th of january i i felt that loss i didn't it wasn't obviously with the intent to, uh, the rawness or the intensity of of when it happened but I felt really, really sad. But now I can look at that sadness and say, well, I absolutely loved her so much. It's a, it's a good thing to feel sad. I still miss her. I still wish she was alive. There are so many things in my life that has happened that I wish I could share with her. So that is grief. So therefore, I'm still grieving. But it's not taking over my whole life. It's not permanent and it's all not pervasive. I don't, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that is okay. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that the psychologists tell us to look out for. They've noticed that people who don't get through loss and, you know, who don't learn to integrate their loss or accommodate it, there's three things that usually they have in common. Um, one is that they believe it's going to be forever. Um, two is, you know, so permanent. Uh, two is that it's pervasive. Every mm-hmm. area of my life is ruined now. And three, that it's personal, you know, it's just me. Yes. This hasn't happened to anyone else. So there's the three categories to watch out for. Um, if you feel yourself slipping into that, it might be time for, for help, right? Yes, for anyone absolutely. listening. So it's lovely what you say. It's like you get on with your life and then on a certain day you can be hijacked by your grief, yes. even 30 years down the line. Yeah. And then the next day you're okay yeah. again. Yeah. Yeah integrated it. Mm -hmm. Madeline, just back to something you said earlier um, when we were talking about the things that had helped you. You mentioned writing Mm -hmm. and something changed in your face and your body as you said that. Yeah. Would you tell us a bit about that, about the writing and how it helped you? Because I couldn't find verbally, couldn't find the words, um, by writing them down, I could write anything down and even though in my diary I would even berate myself you know you know don't be silly I should be getting on with things you know it's been three months <laughs> seems ridiculous now but you know looking back I'm saying it's three months you're still talking about it get on with it wow. but actually where I found the greatest r- relief is when I would write when I would feel I suppose I would feel it would be when I feel very low um, and I would just write, I wouldn't call it poetry, but I would write words down and it would kind of turn into a sort of a verse, but it wasn't a rhyming verse, it wasn't anything, mm. but, and I have ke- I've kept some of those and I, I look back at those now and I, I, I can see the powerfulness of those words and there was a healing element to that, it wasn't enough for me at the time, but they gave me, by writing those words down, it gave me an outlet for expression, which yeah. I couldn't find anywhere else. And again, I'm not, I had wonderful people around me. I just couldn't, I didn't have the tools. I needed somebody to help me find the tools to express it. And like I said before, the creative arts did that for me because I didn't need words. And I know it's contradictory, it was the words on the paper, but I didn't, I wasn't speaking them. Yeah. 
I would, they were again, coming, from, coming from a different from, place. From a different, they weren't coming from here. Yeah. Um, so they, in my head, they they were coming from a different place. So, um, yeah, it was very powerful, and it's something I've used always. I I I can't even explain it. I would I would feel very, I suppose it would be at low points in my life, but there'd be a certain growth com that would come out once I wrote those words down. There, there would be a certain growth from that. I'm yeah. not explaining it very well, because again, words and they aren't great, but I would feel um, a certain healing, I suppose, rather. Would you understand that. yourself a little bit better yeah, to see exactly. the words outside? Exactly. Or and have a release see. from them. And mm. I could see the pain or whatever was in those words, whatever I needed to express, I could see it, I could visualize it. Mm. And there was a healing element to that, definitely. Mm. Um, so it was very important for me. Do you and read them often? Um, I would look back on them. Yes, I would actually. Mm. Not often, but I would read them. And it's an interesting, it's a journey. You can, mm. you know. Um, Is there any that really stand any. out that you could share? I wouldn't be able to even say them. I'd have to have them in front of me to right. to read them. But yes, there are there mm. are there are a few there are a few that I would uh, that would stand out as as expressing really clearly how I felt within mm. that within that morning state. And it seems strange to me that I could write those, read those, look at those, acknowledge them, and yet break myself so much for speaking to people about it or you know not getting on with life and. So harsh blah, blah, for blah. having a feeling. Isn't it? Yeah. So harsh we are on ourselves. Yes. And Madeline, if you were to offer words of wisdom to anyone listening today who might be grieving and, you know, might be experiencing something similar to what you're saying, mm -hmm. that inability to verbally express themselves or, you know, somebody who feels I can't, I shouldn't, it's not the right thing to do. Um, what would you say to those people listening? I would say it definitely is the right thing to do to get this out of your system. You may not be able to verbalize it and that's okay. You may not feel you have permission to verbalize it, but you need to find someone. We can all find methods and ways. Going out in nature is powerful and really strong. Going for a run will help some people to sort of get out those feelings from inside them. But if you're really struggling with feelings, with your ability to your, that sense where you're self-critical of feeling grief when you shouldn't feel grief, you need, I would say, find someone. If it's someone professional mm -hmm. or if it's a stranger or if it's, you know, it's just someone you know that you feel comfortable with, do something about it. Don't harbour those feelings. Don't keep them within yourself because they'll, they will, it may not be very dramatic, but they will affect everything about you and everything that you do your choices. There are feelings that, for me, those feelings are very, they, they became very invasive and they, they corrupted, they corrupted me. So I would say to someone that you, it may not be the case for them, but I would definitely try and get professional help. Mm. I wouldn't, I, I would, or I would go to, sorry, what they're about, the death, I was going to say a death cafe, but that's not what they're about. They're just a, an open discussion on, on death and, and, and mm. um, but I would say get, get professional help so I'm wondering. I mean we have this term reach out which is very hard to do um, it's very hard to reach out and then to, to find the right person but there is help there are people who can help us whether we are verbal people like me mm. or creative people or musical or artistic 
And it may not be the first person you find, but there will be someone you'll gel with and, you know, find them because you're worth it. You're absolutely worth it. And I mean, even if you're, if there's a certain fear element that go online, there's wonderful websites, the Irish Hospice Foundation. Yeah. Your website, Shapes of Grief. But the more you get buy a book on grief, the more you read about it, the more you realize how natural those feelings you're, yeah. you are you are having. And that's the thing, is to realize that everything about what you're feeling is normal. Yeah. That's so yeah. important. And yes, find someone and, and find someone who, who you can feel safe with. That's so important. Mm-hmm. I think surround yourself with friends like it sounds like that wasn't an issue for you you did have the right friends it was just however your grief had been compacted so deeply inside you that even with a good circle of friends that didn't help you and And they did help me yeah but not in uh, not in the way you needed yeah yeah and for for many people that is enough for many people it is enough to have a a circle of close friends depending on so many different factors yeah. and then for others we need a bit of help and there's nothing to be ashamed of in that absolutely like not. we're worth it we live once yes you know get the help so that we can grieve we yes. can feel and we can get on with our lives with our grief mm-hmm. in whatever shape or form that looks like madeline you mentioned you did a master's in bereavement studies i did like me that's how we know each other yes how was that for you that was amazing i because i even remember researching it looking coming aware of you know that I had suffered so much from so much bereavement within my life and Google was available looking up and I I was really interested in studying more about bereavement and grief and when I actually saw this master's that the Irish Hospice Foundation ran a master's on bereavement studies I couldn't believe it so for me doing it it was it was fabulous do it's an amazing course it is and it's a course that everyone should do it shouldn't even be a master's it's it, we deserve a master's yeah. for doing it because we did a lot of work within it but it shouldn't be a master's it should be it should be taught to everyone in schools it should be like it seems crazy that it isn't because yeah. it's it's a, number one it's actually a fascinating subject number two it's just it's so much part of life yeah it should yeah. be the norm yeah absolutely and when we were chatting earlier before we were recording i was saying to you that the first day we sat there in the class I was just, I had this overwhelming feeling that everybody needs to know this stuff. Like, this is amazing, but everyone needs to know it, not just the group of 15 of us sitting in that classroom. And I suppose this is what Shapes of Grief is about. It's bringing that knowledge and awareness to a wider audience because we all need it. Yeah, without a doubt. And knowledge is key. Absolutely. Knowledge is key. It doesn't... To know about grief doesn't mean that we don't grieve, Exactly. but it can certainly ease the process to know I'm not going crazy or this is what I can expect or, oh, yeah, I'm not sleeping. I remember that's normal. Grief affects my body as well as my heart, as well as my mind. And I think certainly a lot of people who come to me, often I'll only see them one time and all they need is reassurance. This is what grief looks like. This is why this is happening. This is how it's affecting your body. This is what you can expect. And they just need that reassurance of, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And this will pass in time. And my grief will lessen and be more yes. manageable. But it's, it's, it's nuts that it's something that most of us will have experienced in our lives. Yet we don't discuss it with each other it nearly enough. No, it yeah. is crazy. 
it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's madness. So on that note, thank you so much for coming and telling me your story, telling everybody listening your story. I'm sure it will touch many people listening today and hopefully somebody will be inspired to go out and find the support they need. They're struggling with words. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks, Liz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. If your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You are not alone. Join the Shapes of Grief community in our private Facebook group and find more support and useful links on shapesofgrief.com. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleeson, stay well.